Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. Hey, my friends, my last six-week course of the year is approaching. It begins on Monday, October 30th. This six-week course is beyond anything you've experienced. We meet four days a week. I will teach you the ins and outs of healing trauma and stress through somatic inquiry, somatic experiencing, and whole food nutrition. You also will have a weekly sound healing, which will help you access your body and get the work to digest on a physical level instead of just a mental one. We have Q&As, we have practice sessions, and we have full-time six-week support via our circle space. If you want to join this next six-week course, go to holisticlifenavigation.com and click on the course. You can join the waitlist, and on September 28th, you'll be invited to register before the public. For more information, visit holisticlifenavigation.com. You know, we, we have all these studies where, you know, I've got my DNA tested and and I am predisposed towards breast cancer because I have the BRCA gene, you know, that it's a certain gene that says you're predisposed. That gene has to be turned on. It's not like it's always operating. Genes can be turned on and turned off, like you turn on a light switch and turn it off. Genes can have the same thing. How are they turned on and off? By epigenetic things. What are epigenetics? It's what's in our environment. It's perfumes we breathe. It's the, the, the air pollution that we're around. It's foods that we eat. Stress, tons of stuff will turn on and off genes. And perfumes are one of them. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we discuss every aspect of life through the lens of somatic psychology, nutrition, and self-inquiry. My name's Luis Mojica, and I'm a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety inside themselves so they can better navigate this strange and sensational human experience. Your time to learn begins now. Welcome back, Karen. Love having you here. Thank you. I'm very pleased to be here. I one thing I loved from your work that I learned when I'm taking your when I took your one course about the foundational healing. What's that course called, by the way? The the one that kind of everyone should start with. It's called Living Well. 
living well. Yeah. That's your, it's kind of your foundational courses. I see it. Uh, you, you touch on it a little bit about chemical fragrances and even essential oils. And I, I think chemical fragrances are so pervasive in our society. They're in everything. And, yeah. um, I remember during the, in New York, there was sanitizer everywhere you went, you know, at the height of the pandemic. And it was loaded with the worst chemical fragrance I ever smelled. And I, I would say to everybody, not jokingly, I would say, I'll take COVID. I prefer COVID <laughs> over this chemical fragrance because it was so, it was so disgusting and it coated every inch of my skin. And when I ate, I could taste it. And so I, what I'm so curious about is I want to teach people in this episode today, what happens inside the body, especially with the adrenal glands, when the body comes in contact with the chemical fragrance? And we're talking like dish soap, body wash, perfume. I mean, there's so many ways. So you you, you lead me and I'll just pause us when it feels important. Yes. Okay. Yes. Perfume and fragrance is everywhere. And it is one of the major factors that create so many health problems that we have today. Um, because we're inundated with it today. You can say, well, they had perfumes and, you know, way back then too. They didn't have them like we had today. It was an occasional thing. I mean, you think about funerals, you know, what was the purpose of, why do we send flowers to funerals? Well, the reason it was originally done is that they didn't have an embalming process like we do now. We're actually required by law to embalm bodies, but the human body as it decays is a horrific, terrible odor. And so the flowers were there to cover up, the, the smell of the flowers were to cover up the odor of the decaying body at the funerals. And so then the, the tradition has just kept on for, you know, into today. But um, even our flowers give off a scent and they all are very powerful. And if you like, Luis, I'll go ahead and launch into an explanation so people can understand the huge impact that perfumes are having on our life and our health. So it's, it gets a little complicated and I'm gonna keep it as as um, as simple as possible because I do want people to understand this without going into such huge chemical explanations about what's happening inside the cellular wall with phosphorylation and sodium and calcium influx and ions coming through there. So what I'll do is I'll start out by just the, the general what happens when you breathe in a perfume. When you inhale a perfume, and by the way, it can go through your skin too. Every kind of scientific study has proven that, that it can penetrate your skin too. So whether you put it on your skin or you're inhaling it, you're gonna actually be doing both because when we apply perfumes, we put them on our skin or our clothes. Now our clothes will also pick up the smell and will be there for a very long time, decades and decades and decades. Um, I'm just gonna take a side shoot and explain something to you about how pervasive perfumes are before I tell you how they work in the human body so you understand how pervasive they are. Um, my, my stepmother recently died and she had a ring that it was actually my great, my grandmother's ring. And then I gave it to my sister um, when we went through all of this stuff because my grandmother had given it to my stepmother. And my grandmother always put on lotion on her hands and she wore this ring and she'd always put on whatever hand cream that she had. And so my sister, I just saw her th over this weekend that had received the ring and she said, I was cleaning that ring. I found the best thing to clean it with is toothpaste, which is fine. She says, I was cleaning the ring and as I was cleaning it, all those years of body lotion that were stuck on that ring came out and she says, all of a sudden, this huge smell of perfume, the body lotion, hand cream that my grandmother always used, she said, it just overwhelmed me and filled the whole room. Now, my grandmother has been dead for over 25 years. And Amazing. so that, that ring has just been sitting around <laughs> for this time. <laughs> and now releasing what happens, those molecules, they just don't decay. They don't decay. And they just, then the whole place smelled. And she says, it was a nice memory because I remember grandma because she always smelled like that hand cream, you know. It's not good for our health though. But <laughs> that's just to give you an idea of how pervasive how pervasive these things are. And it has to do with the very small size of the molecule that it is. Mm. So let me explain to you what happens when we breathe in, or it goes through our skin, but we're gonna talk about breathing right now. And then I'll come back to the skin in a minute. And that entry into the body. There are inside our nasal passages, what are called olfactory 
receptors or odorant receptors. They're very specific receptor sites on, on the molecule. It's, a, it's an actual molecule that's going to receive this perfume, and it's a certain shape. And it's actually a G-coupled receptor is what we call them. And it, it attaches into this site. It's like a, a key going into the, the door, and it, it unlocks a whole lot of chemical reactions that will happen. Well, we recognize many, many different types of smells. It, you know, it smells like this or that. There's actually hundreds of smells that we recognize. That signal then, once we unlock it, once you have that molecule, perfume molecule, lock onto that G-coupled receptor site on that, it's on the cell wall of the receptor in our nasal passages. It immediately sends a message to the olfactory receptor neuron because see, once you have the receptor, it has to get the message to your brain that I smell whatever the smell mm, is. Mm -hmm. For And for what purpose? Is that like a biological defense strategy? Like wh why does it have this? What does the message mean? Is it something like this could kill you because it smells putrid or this is lovely, go toward it? Is that what we're talking about? It's the message is going to actually stimulate a hormonal response. When you have that neuron, it's the... This, the message is sent to the neuron, and then the neuron is sending the message throughout the rest of the what we call the peripheral nervous system, as well as it's mostly the central nervous system, because in the central nervous system, it's going to send out a message. We have a stimulant here. We have something that has been brought to our attention, and we need to respond. Mm -hmm. And so if you didn't get that message to the olfactory receptor neuron, then there wouldn't be anything else that would happen in the human body. It would just die right there at the receptor. And you wouldn't be able to smell it either. If the receptor doesn't send the message to the olfactory receptor neuron, then you would never get the message that I'm smelling something, that something's on fire, or I smell a perfume, or I smell whatever it is you, you smell. So can I, I want to pause here because this is what makes me really curious, the nuance I'm, I'm wondering about already. So this really early relationship between smell and nervous system, right? Scent and nervous system. I'm hearing that based on the, the, the information in the hormones and chemicals of the scent, it tells the body how it needs to respond. Like you said, I smell smoke. That's alert, right? There's an alert of where's the smoke? Compared to I smell something pleasant, like I smell cookies, like, oh, I'm getting hungry. You know, every I'm, I'm assuming every olfactory message has a reaction from the body that's either pleasant or unpleasant. Yes, sir. That's exactly what happens. And that's because of the receptor neuron, the olfactory receptor neuron that's receiving the message from the receptor, the odorant receptor. Got so, it. Okay, great. So then what happens when these chemicals are going in? How's the body, what, what response happens in the adrenals and the rest of the nervous system, the brain? So many, so many responses. We know that one of the responses is that it will create an estrogenic response, that you will make more estrogen. You will also make any of the sex hormones. There's testosterone, estrogen is actually made from, from aldosterone, which is made from, or, uh, from androgens that are made into testosterone, which is further made into estrogens. It's stimulating all kinds of hormonal responses, including the sex hormones. That's why for so many years, you know, if you want to be attractive to the opposite sex, you need to wear XYZ perfume. Is that just some sales technique? No, there's actual, we have physical neurological evidence that we're going to be making more of these hormones that you feel more, I'll just say lovey-dovey. You can yeah. it, understand what that, where that's going. But it does increase those sexual hormone response. Estrogen, testosterone, all of the androgens are, are being made in higher quantities. And this is so well documented in the literature, especially the literature that's studying breast cancer mm. and our, our, our cancers that are caused by too high of a production of estrogen or there's also progesterone, but it, it, all of these are being made in higher quantities. But estrogen is a real culprit because we know that if you have an increase of estrogen, you are a greater risk for these estrogen-fed cancers, such as breast cancer. There's ovarian cancer. There's uterine cancer. There, there, anywhere that you have female tissue where you have more estrogen receptor sites, these perfumes directly stimulate a production of estrogen. 
it should frighten everybody to say, stay away from these things. They are bad. Get away, get away, because it's just putting us at a higher risk. As far what would, as would, would, well, how would you compare um, plastic and chemical perfumes in terms of how they estrogenize the body? Like, are they similar? Would you say perfumes are much higher? Like, well, how would you just people because everyone listening, they kind of know now it's like in the mainstream BPA and such, but chemical fragrances aren't there yet. So give us a an understanding of how that compares. The perfumes and fragrances are far, far worse than your PFAS. That's, you know, the PFAS is. It is it's a plastic, the microplastic. They're much smaller and they are even able to go into the nuclear envelope. You know, we have a cell and then protecting the cell is what we call a plasma membrane. We can just call it a cell wall. We usually don't call them cell walls unless they're in plants. In humans, we call it a plasma membrane. But it's a cell wall, and that protects all the internal organelles. And organelles inside each cell, there are other little parts of the cell. We call them organelles. Each of them have a very specific function to keep that cell operating correctly. Inside the cell, besides the organelles, there's another little, I'll call it a secret place. There's another little place that is walled off from the rest of the internal workings of the cell called the nuclear envelope. Inside the nuclear envelope, and it's protected by a wall too. And that membrane, the nuclear membrane, is protecting what's inside the nuclear envelope. What could be hidden inside the nuclear envelope that is so important that we have to have not only the cell wall protecting it, but then inside another wall protecting what's inside of that. What's inside of that is a full copy of your DNA. Mm, mm. A full copy of your DNA. And if that DNA becomes modified, becomes mutated, then every single cell that is born from that cell will carry the same mutation because you're making a permanent change to the DNA. And I say permanent, there are six DNA repair systems that can come in, but we so, so many of them are disabled in the mutation process, but there is, there's still hope that we can go back and Mm -hmm. repair that damage down the line, but we don't want to mutate the DNA. And what's interesting about your plastics. Yes. You know, the estrogenic activity, you know, we've read about all that and how it affects sperm and all the rest of it. But those are not as small of a molecule that can enter through the nuclear envelope. These are such tiny molecules. You know, I told you that the first receptor is going to stimulate what's called a G G protein coupled receptor. But when you get down to the neurons, okay, where we also have DNA and and we, we have the other cells surrounding that we have lots of cells besides the neuron itself, they're supporting cells. That DNA, not in the neuron because the neuron doesn't carry a DNA, but the supporting cells DNA can be altered because these tiny little molecules don't have to have that receptor site. They don't, there's, there's not the G protein coupled receptors on the nuclear envelope wall. Mm-hmm. They have channels, they have ion channels, they have uh, their, their nuclear receptor channels that come through and but they can just walk through a wall. They're so tiny, these molecules. They can, it's called diffusion in chemistry. We call it diffusion. You just sort of, it's just walking through the wall. That's what well, I get. The, I get that visual of, you know, those, um, those like scent machines that puff out every 30 seconds in a bathroom or something, the way it kind of the aerosol goes into the room and it just envelops the room. I'm getting this visual of the scent in the body doing the same. It just kind of bathes that cell, like it bathes right through that cell wall. And I'm seeing plastics even though they can be harmful, they just kind of move past that. They're not small enough to go into that cell wall the same way. So that, that's an important important um, comparison mm-hmm. uh, just because of the outrage people have with plastic, but missing what's more pervasive and more damaging are the chemical fragrances that are in everything these people use. And Far, and, far more damaging. And, and, and then, I'm, you know, so much is coming up as you speak, as always, because you say so many great, decadent things um i think the the one that that was i think what was really getting me with the sex hormones and oh when you were talking about the dna mutations right the the copy and how it can mutate that's just another way of saying disease and cancer and what people would call genetic disorders that are family inherited which i always wonder is it are you inheriting a disorder or are you inheriting the habits that created the disorder so tell us about that 
Yes. Because mama always did it or daddy always did it. We do it too, because that's just what we do. That's right. Yes, there are, you know, that's another subject for another day, but perfumes are um, a, a way to change the expression of our DNA because not only can they mutate the DNA, but when our DNA is repl replicated, so when a cell is going to reproduce, you have to copy the DNA so then you can make a new cell. The DNA is then going to instruct the cell how to make a, an identical cell, a daughter cell from that. And when we take in these, they're called epigenetic sources. Perfumes are definitely epigenetic besides damaging the cell itself. There are certain processes that happen in this re after the, after the duplication of the DNA, as the DNA is being put together and formed, as we have the proteins being put together in their long strings, and then they fold into a certain process to make that cell into what it is. If you have these epigenetic factors such as perfume there, it will also interfere with that. And you can actually turn on a gene and you can also turn off genes because we, you know, we have all this. And I know this is a little bit of a side, but people need to understand the huge impact this has on our genetic material, our DNA. You know, we, we have all these studies where, you know, I've got my DNA tested and, and I am predisposed towards breast cancer because I have the BRCA gene, you know, that it's a certain gene that says you're predisposed that gene has to be turned on. It's not like it's always operating. Genes can be turned on and turned off. Like you turn on a light switch and turn mm -hmm. it off. Genes can have the same thing. How are they turned on and off? By epigenetic things. What are epigenetics? It's what's in our environments. Perfumes we breathe. It's the, the, the air pollution that we're around. It's foods that we eat. There's, you know, it's many, Stress. many things. Stress, tons of stuff will turn on and off genes and perfumes are one of them. So-, so Let's pause there. I just want people to really hear that because it's something when I was when I was solely practicing nutrition, that was my favorite thing to educate people on because they would come in with so much fear and um, essentially a, a defeatist kind of fatalistic emotional state because they were told you have this. This is what's going to happen to you because of this gene. And when they learn that environment is really what impacts the turning on or turning off the gene, they had this incredible awakening of personal agency of, oh, I can actually impact what turns on or off my genes. Yes. And, and this is where the work with trauma and biochemistry and nutrition, they, they come together because the, or at least as I understand it, I, I want you to give me more info, is the, the, the chemical equation in the body and all the systems of the body that are disturbed by excess adrenaline and other hormones it's the same equation from the mind stress as it would be from a pheromone or a chemical fragrance stress. So can you can you help us understand what happens on a stress level in the body just from breathing in a chemical perfume? Absolutely. And you have to understand that, you know, you may be thinking something in your head like, oh, I have this gene that predisposes me to a condition and you have that fear. Fear is not some independent, you know, emotion that's not tied to a physical chemical response. Whenever we have fear, whenever we have fight and flight, whenever we have excitement, joy, emotions are directly tied to a hormone because it's not that emotion that's creating the reaction. It is actually the chemical that's creating the reactions, which came first, the chicken or the egg. If I'm under stress, look at some people that are under stress. They're calm, they're cool, doesn't really shake them. They're like a rock, you know, with the waves crashing over them. They're not responding. And it's not that they're immune to it. They just don't get worked up about it. But other people get worked up about it. Why do some people get worked up about it? Why do some people don't get worked up about it? I will tell you, it has a lot to do with what you're producing with your hormones already. Because if you are a hormone machine because you're drinking coffee, you're eating sweets, and I'm sure your, your audience has gone through some of these things before with you, but there are certain things that are increasing our hormonal status. So we're already raging with hormones. And so then you have another enter a perfume enter the stressful situation with whatever happened in your life. You know, the boss just chewed you out. You could have been calm during that, or you could have let it affect you and you got upset. And that upset is actually, there's a, there's a hormonal release. If you have a good hormonal release, you can remain calm and say, yeah, he's angry. It's too bad, you know, but I'm not going to respond in kind. But so oftentimes we're already producing so many hormones that we're, it's just a cascade reaction. 
So pause. I love this. So this is the word I talk about so much on the podcast. I talk about capacity. It's a somatic term and it's tied to biology. It's not about mental capacity. Like I have to think better, which obviously helps too, but it's not this, like you said, it's not this inanimate kind of floating thing. It's a chemical equation of how much capacity do I already have to metabolize the new stress hormones that are being created versus if my diet, if my environment, if my mental state, if these fragrances, whatever it is in my environment are already have me in an adrenalized fight or flight chemistry, if I'm already there from upon, like upon waking, then if a stressful event happens, I don't have the capacity to even metabolize the hormones that are being made. I get pushed over the edge. That's this exactly, is what we're talking about. This is exactly what's happening. And we see it, you know, from, from our diets contributing, from, you know, just massive stress coming and keep coming and it never stops. We see it from taking particular medications that they will put you immediately because every single mm -hmm. thing that happens in a human body is a chemical reaction. Mm -hmm. Your very thought is a chemical reaction. You can't have that thought without chemical reactions happening at those neurosynapses. It just won't happen. That's right. So I, I think, and this is a great, we have... Uh, all, as we're talking, I have these little stars of, okay, future episode <laughs> topics, because <laughs> you're like giving birth to all these really important discussions we need to have. Um, but I love this, this piece here, because you're, you're speaking to emotions are really just the terms we've invented for the chemical equation, which yes. would, uh, in, the, in somatic terms, the sensation, because it's like chemical equation, then we feel it, and then we label it or identify it. And so these chemical equations that become disease, stressful states, especially as we're talking here with, with fragrances, uh, my mind goes right to the liver and the kidneys because these are our best filtration systems for when this enters the blood. What happens to the liver when you are breathing in chemicals, when you're putting lotion on every day, when your body wash is fragranced, your dish soap? Well, what's going on with the liver? The liver has to filter these things out because they are harmful to you. Your body is going to do everything it can to protect you. So the liver is going to filter these things out. And our perfumes and fragrances, all of these, you, you just need to know the vast, they're all fat soluble. So the liver is going to deal mm -hmm. with it. So kidneys are going to have very little to do with getting rid of these. It's going to be all your liver. Well, the liver is a static organ. It will only process so much hormone at a time. Well, how much hormone is it processing? It processes at the speed of the blood traveling through the liver. We have a big portal vein going through there and blood is flowing through the liver at a certain rate. Well, when you are inundated with a bunch of stress hormones or perfumes or whatever it is that's creating an increase in an endocrine system function where you're producing that, you're going to get a double whammy here because these perfumes are also stimulating the production of adrenaline. But when you are overwhelmed and have to clean out these hormones, then the liver itself will call for an increase of adrenaline to do what? To increase the speed of the blood flowing through the liver. Mm, if mm. you can increase the amount of volume that's being processed by the liver, then you can get rid of the perfumes and fragrances or whatever we're trying to get rid of more rapidly. Well, how can you increase the speed of the blood through a production of adrenaline? Because adrenaline always causes vasoconstriction. Every blood vessel in your body will get smaller. They don't close off. They just get more narrow. And when you have the same amount of volume of blood flowing through passages that are more narrow, what is the physical, and I'll say in physics, what is the response of a smaller space in the same volume of liquid flowing through it? The pressure goes blood up. Blood pressure, yeah, blood pressure. Blood pressure goes up, and that means the blood is shooting faster. I mean, just think about a hose. You know, let's say we're standing mm -hmm. out in the garden, and we're watering the plants or watering the vegetable garden, whatever we're doing, and you don't have a spray nozzle on the end of the hose. It's just an open end, you know, where they have a metal receptor where you could put a spray nozzle on, but it's just that little, it's the open hose there. And it's going out right at your feet, glug, glug, glug. You know, and you're holding the, the hose out, trying to hold it over the plants, but you gotta get this water to shoot out over a little bit further distance. What do you do? Put your thumb over the hole. Mm -hmm, and when mm -hmm. you do that, you made a more narrow, constricted space. And so then the pressure of the water is trying to escape through a smaller space, which increases 
the pressure and then the water can shoot out further, can go faster, can go further. This is exactly what's happening in the liver when we have an adrenaline response is that everything is going to move faster through the liver so we can clean this stuff out faster because the liver knows this is bad news. And so you will have an adrenaline response secondarily just to get things to move in through fastly and primarily because these perfumes and fragrances always will stimulate a production of adrenaline. For those of you who are sitting out there and say, well, how, do, how does that work out in reality? I will tell you, when you're around a perfume and fragrance and you haven't been around them for a while, let's say you know, you, you're, you're listening to this podcast and you say, I'm getting rid of all these perfumes and fragrances. You know as well as I do, you're going to be exposed to a perfume and fragrance. You're going to go someplace and you know someone's going to give you a hug and they are coated with <laughs> whatever it is. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And watch your emotions. You're going to feel something. Either you will start to feel dizzy out of it, not really with it, or you will most likely become very angry. You're so angry. Why are you so angry? What did they do? They just gave you a hug. You're trying to be nice. You know, you know, you're angry. That's an adrenaline response. And so is the other one. If we're overwhelmed with too much adrenaline, we can become anxious, start to have a panic attack and feel like, I can't stand it in here anymore. I got to get away from all these people. They're driving me nuts. What am I going to do? I'm going out of my mind. Or you can be so overwhelmed because what we do is we have a desensitization. There's something called depolarization. And it gets into a lot of chemistry about how sodium and calcium ions rush to different points and they're being shut down by a certain process inside the, inside the cell. And so then you become... It's so overwhelming that you just shut down because you can't take it anymore. And then you go into, duh. And we, and the trauma okay. response we call that is collapse. Yes. And it's, that's exactly what that. So this is brilliant because you're outlining beautifully the biology of trauma response. Because the moment you have a fight or flight response, you will always have vasoconstriction or vasoconstriction to amplify the blood pressure so then you can mobilize into running or looking or screaming or punching or you know, kicking whatever you have to do to survive so exactly. it's this incredible pressure that builds in the body the same pressure that turns into an anxiety or panic attack or crying or even the same pressure that becomes laughter like all these expressions they they're rooted in that adrenal you know response yes. uh it just depends on how the body responds to it right like if it's an adrenal response i'm so happy to be talking to karen it's like, I'm excited, I'm alive, I'm connecting with you, I'm, I'm happy, I'm giddy. Or if it's, oh no, I have to talk in front of a thousand people, they're all going to hate me, and my body braces against that, then it becomes overwhelmed. But it all comes down to this pressure for me. And some people call it energy, but it, it, biologically, how you're speaking to it, it's a pressure you can feel because all these little blood vessels are getting tighter and the blood is moving through the same amount, same amount of volume. And so it's pushing against all your organs, it's not just the liver, it's also your heart, it's your eyeballs. I, after I had Lyme disease, my eyes became so sensitive that I could see the pulsation of blood in them when I was in an activated place until I reversed a lot of that. So every part of the body, the brain is being impacted by this high level of activation when there's an adrenal response. And I, I'm saying all that you know, to put a little bow around it so people listening can really understand that's the result of being exposed to a chemical fragrance. And so everyone listening here, I want you just to take a moment to assess what's your relationship to chemicals. Do you, what do you wash your dishes with? What do you clean your laundry with? What do you clean your floors with? You know, what's your, what are your hair products like? Do you wear makeup? Are they fragrance? I mean, there's, it's, it's literally can touch every surface of your life. And it's a closed circuit. As I see it, when everyone's windows are closed and the house is just filled with downy and tide and febreze and all these all these sprays and plugins and you're just being bathed in this chemical warfare essentially on your body so uh, this takes me right to the bean diet because i imagine these chemicals are like you said they're fat solubles they're binding to fats the liver is taking them out of the blood putting them into the digestive tract and as we know the bile acids go right back around into the liver and into the blood again so the beans are just like they grab adrenaline. They're also grabbing these chemicals from the fragrance and evacuating them. Yes, they are. And so we can get rid of them. <laughs> those beans. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, the bean diet really kind of addresses everything. Yeah. Yep. Because it addresses that evacuation of the bile acids. 
Yeah. And I want to make clear, you know, you know, not only are we having vasoconstriction with the adrenaline, but the adrenaline is, it's made of two hormones, adrenaline, we just call it adrenaline collectively, but it's actually norepinephrine and epinephrine. Those are the two hormones that make up adrenaline. And those are the two most common and two most powerful neurotransmitters that we make. And they will cross through the pituitary gland. They will go into our brain there and they will immediately begin to act as neurotransmitters. So that's why your thinking is either impaired if we go into the collapse too much, it's just you collapse or you're just so overly stimulated, you know, you have to peel you off the ceiling. And so it's, it's, and you think, well, I'm just, you know, I can just need to get over it, you know, be calm. Oh, yeah, try to think that way. You can try to try to control yourself that way. But when you are exposed to these things, this is going to be very difficult. You know, we, it's- yeah, I agree. One of my favorite things to do, and I, again, when I was practicing in private practice still with nutrition is one of our, I would usually work with people for six weeks to three months. That was the typical span and they would come back for tune-ups and one of those weeks were always dedicated to fragrance they would have to go home and write a list of everything they found in their house that had a fragrance and then we i would help them find a replacement and the results were incredible and i I would say especially in women with pcos the results were amazing and i wondered if you could touch on just because these are sex hormone activators estrogen, especially with the chemical fragrances, how is that affecting the female reproductive system, especially? When you have estrogen released, there are receptor sites on all female tissue. And when an estrogen molecule locks onto the receptor site, there are estrogen receptor sites on this female tissue. It stimulates a cascade of chemical reactions within all those organelles in the cell that cause the cell to grow, to create more tissue. So like in PCOS, we have, sometimes there can be hundreds, thousands of little cysts on the ovary. What are those cysts caused by? They're caused by too much estrogen and it's telling the cell, you need to grow more tissue. And a cell saying, wait a minute, I'm already full grown. I don't need to, no, you need to grow more. It's stimulating more growth. And that growth can be endometriosis. It can be cysts. It can be fibroids. It can be cancer. So we we don't want to overstimulate these cells because every time you have an estrogen molecule attached on a receptor site, every time that cell will be jolted into growing a little bit more tissue, doing something. It's not just going to be neutral and just say, oh, we just got stimulated by an estrogen molecule. We're just going to lie here and do nothing. No, that cell will jump and do something. And that's amazing because then these women that I worked with, and I also worked, I saw this happen with infertility as well. When they would remove these chemicals, I mean, some literally within one menstrual cycle had complete transformations in their body. And that's kind of the the magic of the menstrual cycle is such a deep cleanse. When they were bringing in, I didn't know the bean protocol at the time, but I worked with macrobiotics. So it was like two bean meals a day. So it was pretty close. But they would bring in beans, they would bring in certain whole grains, they'd bring in more vegetables. And I also worked with burdock, which is a root that I really like to use in a tea. And these, all these things together would completely transform um, their ability to conceive, their cramps, the amount of clotting, bleeding. I mean, PCOS, you, you, everything you named, I would yep. see be reversed sometimes in one menstrual cycle, usually three. Incredible, just removing the fragrances. And 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 obviously diet helped a lot, but what tipped me off to the fragrances is that they were doing the diet for months. And it was kind of like just getting them there, but then the fragrance would be coming back every day in their lives. So it's when they removed the fragrance, it's almost like I felt their body just ah, take an exhale and, and remain there. And what happens in that is that estrogen is always, always produced with perfumes and fragrances. And there's such a huge load of estrogen. And when those receptor sites, when you have a little egg that is ripening inside the ovary, they ripen. And then at a certain point, they're so ripe, they will erupt from the follicle and then they fall into the fallopian tube and can be, can be a meet with a sperm. And then you can have conception. But when you have a lot of estrogen, these eggs, they become overly ripe. Remember, they're getting stimulated, stimulated, stimulated. So the egg is so overly ripe that when it is kicked out, it when it explodes, it's not an expulsion that is just like, oh, it just sort of falls out of the follicle. No, it explodes 
explodes out of the follicle. Well, your egg is already so overripe, so large, so unstable that it immediately just falls apart. It doesn't, wow. it comes to pieces because think about this as an apple tree. You know, if we had the apples that are hanging on the tree, if they stay hanging on the tree and you don't harvest them, you don't pull them off and they just continue to stay there. And, and they, as they get more and more ripe, they will eventually fall to the ground. And when they fall to the ground, they go splat yep. and they come to pieces because they're overly ripe. We don't want all overly ripe things, you know, just fall to pieces there. And that's exactly what happens in infertility. The vast majority of infertility is not caused by not producing an egg that can be fertilized. It's because when the egg is is full, uh, shot out from yeah. the follicle, it just falls apart because the force is too great. It's overly ripe. And then there's nothing left to the egg. There is nothing to fertilize. That speaks to the whole system because we think of the cyst and the fibroid and the tumor. It's really the similar thing. It's this overly ripe system that's just building and growing. And there's not enough. There's not. It's almost like I said this to you in the past episode. It's like an energetic debt. You know, like it can't it can't catch up to get the balance that it knows how to do because of all these factors coming in every day. So it does. It, there is this growth essentially, this energetic growth that occurs, and it, it manifests in all these different ways. I'm wondering for, oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and, and it just, it, it just, it just cascades because, you know, that little follicle that this egg erupted from and fell apart because it was too overly ripe. What happened to the follicle? The follicle itself is overly ripe. And so the follicle becomes the progesterone factory that produces all the progesterone. Well, so who cares about that? Because it's a factory operating in too high of a gear. It's mm-hmm. overproducing progesterone. What does progesterone do for you then? Gives you terrible cramping, gives you a horrible bleeding, big, heavy clots, lots of menstrual you know bleed it's just and it just goes on and on it's just it just cascades so anyone listening to this who has really intense periods or infertility or i mean i'm even imagining you know insane hot flashes throughout menopause like any kind of any kind of you know female reproductive expression that we could say that's hormonal uh, including I, i see stress and ptsd as a hormonal issue as well because it's such huge amounts of adrenaline so anyone with you know chronic stress or chronic hormonal issues, really go check check out your fragrances, right? See what you're using or not using. Yeah. Totally. Do you have like a? Do you have a? Do you have like your top three? Like what have you found to be the most important ones to eliminate? Of perfumes and fragrances. Yeah, or, I mean, I know you would say all, but if, if someone wanted to start slow, like what would you say is the most important to begin with? Change your shampoo, because you can't take your hair off. Mm. that's the first and everybody uses these scented shampoos and you say well i don't smell it oh i smell somebody's scented <laughs> the moment i walk they can be 20 feet too. oh no that is so bad it's coming off my hair. and you know you can take your clothes off you know because the perfume gets on the clothes and you can mm. remove them from you but you never take off your hair at night and put it inside you're sleeping with it it's what you were around 24 7 and you're around your hair Oh, it's such a great place to begin. I love that. You know, I, I laugh because my wife is such a super smeller. It's like her secret weapon. She can just smell anything from 10 miles away. And she's super chemically sensitive. She just, I don't know what happened in her, her you know, in her expressions growing up, but she has such a chemical sensitivity. If, she, if she's in a house with a scented candle, she will start to feel inflammation in her knees. It's like an immediate immune response for her. So her body's like this fragrance detector. So we can go into a room with 10 people and she'll be like, and she'll be able to smell out the person that uses the scented shampoo because it's so it's just so violating to her senses. Um, but that's a really good point, especially because it's hanging around your mouth, your nose, you're sleeping on it, it's on your pillow. It's, it's kind of just in your life all the time, isn't it? Being sucked in through your skin. It is. Yeah. And then the next one right after that is what you put on your skin. And people mm. say, well, I don't put perfume on my skin. But what you do do is you go and you use the restroom and you wash your hands. And you've been told you have to have soap to wash your hands. And you check out your soap, it's going to be scented. Almost all of them are. You know, especially you go to a public restroom, you know, and the soap. Absolutely. Just like, oh, oh, terrible. You know, and then try <laughs> yeah. to get it washed off your hands. It's impossible. Or, or it just like, sticks there. 
or like in our society since COVID, the hand sanitizers, you know, are risen to a huge use. Well, they do have unscented hand sanitizers, but most of them are scented. You know, when you get the little one and you're rubbing it on your hands, it's just like, oh, oh boy. <laughs> you're going to cut your hands off and try washing it off. It doesn't wash off. It can take three days to get it off. Even if you use an unscented soap to try it, you will say, I still smell it. Yeah, it's stuck it. there. Three days later, it's like, oh, finally it's gone, you know. So what would you say briefly to someone that says, well, what do I do if I'm in a restroom? I want to wash my hands. I don't want to use the soap. Karen, how do I clean my hands? Water. Water is incredible. <laughs> you just, yeah. and then, and you don't just, you know, rinse your hands. You wash them, you know, keep, you know, give a good 20 seconds, you know, wash, wash, wash. Water is, can, and can do a lot of wonderful, good things. Hmm. So that's what I do. If I, and then, or you can also carry your own soap in your purse. You know, they got these little tiny sample bottles of, you know, whatever soap and you can have yeah. it. I do the same thing. I use water and it's, it's so funny in these days, it's highly controversial <laughs> to use water, oh, <laughs> but it's, it's I, I use water. I don't get sick. I don't have issues. No, it's because we have been inaccurately told that, you know, if you don't wash your hands well, you're going to get COVID. I will tell you the disease that we're getting, it's not coming from you shaking somebody's hand, you know, or in, and then rubbing your eyes or your mouth, the vast majority, it's in, when I say the vast majority, it's like 99, it's high in the 99th percentile, you know, almost, it's what you're inhaling. Yeah, it's aerated, right? It's aerated. And that's how COVID is spread. COVID is, yeah. it's, it's what you're breathing. I remember when COVID started, when we were aware of it, this this specialist was on TV. And I remember he said, let's all take a breath. He was like a biochemist, actually. And he was like, let's all take a breath and just know this is not the kind of disease that's going to jump off of a chair into your body. It's not going to jump off your skin into your nose. You have to really specifically get it in the air or touch it hardcore with your nose and shove your finger. I mean, with your finger, then shove your finger in your nose. And, and I remember hearing that. I thought... Oh, He's that's right. so settling. And I lived by that for the last many yeah. years. And it's been it's been pretty great. Yeah. Um, I, I, lo I love I always love having you on, you know, you have such an intuition with the body. I mean, you're so trained, but you also have such an understanding of it and just the simplest, simplest sense. I really I thank you for that. And I, I think I, as we close, one thing I just wanted to throw out that I didn't want to forget, we're talking about the toxicity of the body. Yet all this is going down the drain. What's this doing to the earth? Like what's, what does that mean for the, like, tell us if you know anything about that, the e ecology of how that responds to these chemical fragrances. They are, well, the ecology, it's not so much what it's doing to a plant or to, you know, uh, the soil, but it's how it's going to come back to human beings because mm. these substances, these perfumes and fragrances are small molecules. They are, they, they just really don't break down. They can be broken down, but there's not a mechanism that we are aware of to break them down, except to burn them up in a fire. We can do that. I mean, sometimes <laughs> I tell people, you know, how can I get this smell it on my clothes? They said, I don't know if you ever will be able to do it, put it in a hot dryer, but it probably won't come out. Then best thing to do is just burn the clothes and get rid of them. Cause that's the only thing it has to be oxidized, completely oxidized, which means burning it up, which means you don't have it anymore. You burn <laughs> it, to the you know, right. but, but what happens is these things are stored in our earth and they, they are in our plant. We have several plants that have phytoestrogens in them. They're plant estrogens in them. We have and then we get involved in the earth too. It's just like that ring I was telling you about my grandmother, you know, mm -hmm. how many, it's been decades and that smell is just strong right there, just like it was when she was wearing it. These things are affecting us because they will get back to, or affect the earth because they get back to us. They end up in mm -hmm. our food, they end up on, you know, whatever we're making, they're still there. Yeah, the waterways, I imagine, too, especially waterways. in cities where it's like closed circuit plumbing and it's is, is yes. being like, you know, bleached. Oh, well, and all, all, all of you, I mean, haven't you tasted water that's perfumed before that you can taste the perfume in the water? It's like, how did that get in there? You know, it depends upon, you know, how they're processing the water, but or even soft water. When water is soft, um, that means there's less calcium, there's more sodium in there. And then that helps convey that that it helps those things exist in that that water so mm. yeah it's just thank you I, th I just wanted to i wanted to close on that not to create this idea of hopelessness but awareness of oh, okay no. there's so many good reasons to stop using fragrances and this is one of them 
Yes. And if you can get rid of vast, I mean, you live scent free. And then when you're exposed to it, when you go to so-and-so's house or you go to the grocery store, I mean, you're going to all be someplace where you're going to be exposed yep. to room. Then at least, you know, 90% of the time I'm not exposed and I'm not getting this. So you're in a far, far better place. And that speaks to what you said earlier when I was saying the word capacity, because I don't have this overwhelm of stress hormones and sex hormones in response. So then when I do come in contact with it, I have the capacity to deal with it and metabolize it, especially with the bean diet. So I'm not going to have issues from it when I'm in the world with it. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you, my friend. Um, I'll everyone knows to go into the show notes and you can get Karen's website and take her courses. You have one specifically, I believe on fertility and endometriosis and such, don't you? Yes, very specifically. Yeah. I don't go into huge detail. I just gave you like a little snapshot, but I go into big detail about that in the infertility course. And <laughs> I hope everyone heard her. This was a snapshot. So her courses are so rich and you own them for life. It's amazing. And she gives you support through email. I mean, it's a brilliant way to serve people. So thank you for that. And um, I will see you again soon for sure. All right. Thank you. So that's the end of today's episode. Notice where you feel the episode inside of your body. Those sensations, those expressions. That's how your body speaks to you. Sit with it. Be with it. And let whatever wants to come up, come up. Because all the wisdom you're looking for is right there in those sensations. If you want to go deeper into these practices or find more information about my work, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.